This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. We have merch. Check out the AmericanGlutton.net shop. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. A number of people have come up to me wearing American Glutton merch, and nothing fills my heart with more pride than seeing somebody in one of these t-shirts. And I've been stopped on the street and asked where to get it when somebody sees me in an American Glutton hoodie. Well, you can get it all at the shop on AmericanGlutton.net. And my favorite t-shirt, yesterday it was tomorrow, right now, is up now. Get it while supplies last. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on the show, I'm talking to Astrid Naranjo. She is the anti-diet dietitian, and you can find her on Instagram at anti-diet dietitian. Astrid Naranjo, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You are the anti-diet dietitian. What, is this, what does this mean? <laughs> Let's get into that first, because does that mean you're body positive? I, I imagine you are to some degree, but like telling people they shouldn't, they should just be happy with themselves. What what is what is the anti what is the position of the anti diet dietitian? <clears throat> you know, it is very interesting because everyone feels like that handle is a little bit of a controversial topic, mostly because I am someone who's very neutral. 
with my approach to body composition, your relationship with food, like this, you know that there are just two extremes. Either people completely hate dieting and they have a huge amount of hate towards anyone that wants to lose weight or wants to change the body composition or anything that has to do with tracking, dieting, calorie deficit. So that is one extreme. And we have the other extreme, which is the total opposite. Like if you need to or want to reach your goals, you have to be dieting 24-7 for the rest of your life and you have to over-exercise. You need to track your macros all the time for the rest of your life. Or like if you have some extra body fat, then you are unhealthy. So there is these two extremes and I find myself kind of like right in the middle trying to find a happy medium and just put this world in a in a place of peace where you can do both and there is not there is no need to add that kind of thinking you have to take a side and that's where I am coming from. Now my handle goes more to talk about why I hate aggressive crush dieting so it's more like that anti-type of dieting yeah. that i am against for and i'm also all pro for actual sustainable approach where you can do things in a pace that allows you not just to lose body weight and body fat in a in a way that doesn't feel like you have to make some so many sacrifices and so many trade-offs that it becomes unsustainable and you burn out very quickly but also the fact that the the time that you have allowed yourself to to do and to transition to become that new you that you're trying to become allows you to get to know more about yourself get to helps you to change your behaviors your habit like there is time for you to experience the journey rather than just going all in restrict avoid foods exercise until you are unable to recover properly that's where i am coming from mostly from that anti-diet and obviously dietitian because that's my background i was raised and born in venezuela south america and then I did my bachelor's degree back then, uh, about 14 years ago. And then I moved to Australia about 10 years ago and did a, a, a master's degree in dietetics and practice and did a, a bit more on behavior change and everything that's related to getting your patient or your clients to work with you rather than you prescribing what they need to be doing. So that approach has transform the way I practice for the most part, not just with my online clients, but when I am in the hospital, I am talking with patients in a different way. Some people, even in the hospital, have mentioned, you're so different. Like, you, there is something that you're doing that is unconventional. Like, it's different when you're trying to work with a, with a patient to find answers to work through their behaviors and the resistance points to actually make them aware that there's something that they can do and go to the other side. You find with a lot of people, because I've done all the crash diets that were very popular 
you know, from the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s and the mid 2000s even. Do, do you find that it's hard to kind of talk people out of that? Because I think that people have such an urge to get it done fast. If they've done crash diets in the past, they know like I can lose a lot of weight really quickly. And I think for myself, at least I had built up blinders that I kept repeatedly regaining the weight. I just knew that I could lose weight doing that. So I would go back and do, you know, extremely low calorie diets or liquid diets or something like that. Because I knew like the the only the only goal, the only idea I had in my head is I just need to lose weight. And I know I can lose weight doing this. So I'm just going to do this again. I, I would, wouldn't think really beyond that. Is it is it hard to convince people to try your approach when I think we do have qu quite a big population that is in those shoes? It is very scary if I sit in your shoes to do something that you don't know if it's going to work. And especially if you have a history of dieting and regaining and failing and trying to attempt again, and you have found kind of the only one thing that feels like works for you, but trying to identify what the work for you means, like is it actually working for you if it's not really allowing you to maintain it forever? So it would be a matter of discussion or like how working for you would would mean to you like yes it worked for just a period of time and I did allow you to lose weight and okay again gain some momentum or feel positive about like there is hope that I can lose weight but at the same time it's not truly working for you if there's a point where you say I am sick of this I just don't want to keep doing this anymore because I have, I'm tired of restricting. I am tired of saying no to my friends because I can't eat carbohydrates or I can't just go out and do anything because there's so many rules and so many points of restriction that doesn't feel like you can actually make that as part of your life though. So yes, any diet can work. And that is a big thing when we're trying to look at, well, what sort of diet approach is best? Like there is no best diet. There is the one true fact that what works for you, what feels sustainable, what feels like you can put it in place and see yourself doing that for the next five, 10 years. Can you actually do that for that amount of time? And if the answer, an honest answer is yes, I feel like I definitely can go all the way to 10 years to live the rest of my life doing this, perfect. Then that is the best approach. But for the most part, what we, we're sold in the fitness industry or just overall around us is this is the diet. You got to do this one because this is going to help you lose, help you lose 12 pounds in the first three weeks. And then you're going to gain momentum and, like there's a lot of selling points, which I understand why it can help. Uh, obviously, when you're trying to lose weight and you have failed so many times, when you find that one thing that allows you to see the scale drop, but there is there is nothing else but that only feedback, yeah, you can say, this is working for me. Like the keto diet, it will allow you to lose weight relatively fast. But people don't understand the background of what is happening underneath. Yes, 
a big of that weight drop, especially in the first few weeks, is glycogen and it's water. This probably unlikely to be fat unless you are actually in a very true deep deficit. That, and if you have a lot of weight to lose, you are more likely to lose weight more, much faster at the beginning because that's, that's why you're, tr- you're truly creating a, a huge gap between your energy requirements and your energy intake. But that changes as you continue trying to attempt that and then life gets in the way and things start getting like, oh, I can't do this if I am traveling or I have my, my kids party. Now I can't enjoy this because I can't eat cake. So there are more things that start coming up and you realize, shit, this is not sustainable at all. I won't be able to do this in so many situations that then you start cheating on your diet that, oh, well, um, I'm just going to get off the diet today. Um, and then you come back. But then these are sleep tops and, and then it feels like you always have to cheat on your diet in order to try to feed in things in life. Or the other point is, fuck, I did, I, I made a huge mistake. I binged or you got so many urges and cravings because there's so many things that are restricted in the diet that at the end of the day, you lose that willpower of stopping and saying no. And you say, fuck it. I just want to eat this donut or I want to eat pizza. And then because it's that, that comes from an, a scarcity mindset point of view that you not, won't be able to have it again because it's a bad food is restricted. Then you want to eat it all. And you feel like there's not going to be a tomorrow. There's not going to be, this is the only day I will be able to eat it. And then that's what happens with that vicious cycle and why so many people develop binge eating for dieting and restricting history, trying to find the one way that will work for them, but it's not, it's not truly working for them. Well, yeah, I, I, that was, that was basically my experience with keto. I, I, uh, and, and I, fully accepted that I was just not going to eat carbohydrates, you know, other than a handful of vegetables for the rest of my life, that they were just going to be off limits and I would lose all the weight I needed to lose. And this was how I was going to live. And what happened every time I did it, I did it a number of times is I'd get to like 40% of the weight I needed to lose. I'd lose and it would just stop. I would no longer lose weight. And I would get really meticulous. I would count my carbs. I would be at like 35 grams of carbs per day total and still no weight loss. And so then I just start restricting food while on keto and just be hungry. And then the weight loss would start again. And, and it was usually a couple of weeks into that where I was just basically hungry all the time, eating keto, but losing weight that I would give up and go like, this is not sustainable. And I wouldn't even binge on carbohydrates. I would just start eating more meat and stop losing weight. It was very, very frustrating because I was totally sold that that diet could get me to my goal, that if I just ate that way, that I would lose all the weight I needed to lose. And it just was not true. So that that was super frustrating. Let me ask you something. When you were doing that, what was the what was the point where you realized this is not the way? 
Well, I I did it a number of times. I, I you know I so I would lose you know I had at that point when I started doing keto when when keto came on the scene I had about two hundred pounds to lose and I would lose like eighty pounds on keto and then it would just grind and I'd have hundred and twenty pounds left to lose and I wouldn't be losing weight and I'd probably squeak out another twenty by making myself hungry by not eating enough um and then i would give up and gain weight um and uh and then i i just i you know some i realized that i was accidentally counting calories you know without counting Mm. them that i was doing a a calorie conscious version of keto and when when i when I realized that, I thought like, well, why don't I start making calorie conscious meals that I like that include carbohydrates? And I suddenly felt better in the gym and the weight loss. And, you know, I also had to get OK with weight loss taking a lot longer than I wanted it to take. That was another big thing. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is huge when you have to realize that the speed that you want to get the weight off is unlikely or unsustainable, especially if there is a lot of weight that you want to get off. But the point is, especially when you're in those sticking points, is when you need the more self-awareness that whatever you're trying to do is going to take time. Like your body won't change from one version to another version in just a couple of days because that's not how your physiology or your body works so even if you starve yourself completely it's just water for a few weeks yes you will lose weight but a lot of that will be muscle too so are worth those trade-offs? Do you want to lose weight or do you want to lose fat? So the other point is, and you mentioned that you start, started feeling much better in the gym. You started feeling much more like I can work hard in the gym. Like I can train with more energy. I can feel like a stamina when I'm lifting and hit PR. Like those things are so important to deviate your your mind from just losing weight and rather trying to start thinking now i want to get stronger and by doing other things by default sometimes weight loss happens anyway so it helps to focus on these non-scale related actions and victories that allow you to really hone in in what other aspects of my life I want to feel great in? Yeah. I want to be good and feeling great when I'm with my kids. I want to feel strong when I'm lifting something or when I'm traveling. I can I have three different luggages and I can't carry them all. Or if the lift is broken, I can go on the stairs and I feel confident. I feel good. I don't feel like I'm running out of gas. Those things are so important, not just for the sake of, living better but also for your self-esteem and for your own ongoing empowerment that you can do hard things and those little nuggets of of positive wins 
allow you to continue moving in the right direction. Because sometimes it's not just about the diet. It's about everything. Yeah. And whether that everything is allowing you to feel that you can continue doing that in a longer term. Yeah. Well, uh, another point about um, dieting where this becomes a, a very tricky trade-off and a tricky sell to people is that dieting is by definition, you know, restrictive dieting is a, is a, a limited thing. It's a finite thing. And so there's always that, like that, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow where you go, this is going to end and then I'm done, you know? Mm. And, and really what you're talking about is restructuring somebody's life, which I think is a lot more, you know, to take, to take into account than just like do this thing for three months. It's going to be really hard. It's going to suck. Or you're going to take some of the drugs they have nowadays and it's not going to suck, but do this thing for three months and then you're done. And then you can go back to living the way you live without putting effort into it versus, you know, you're going to have to make some changes that are kind of permanent changes. The biggest thing that you said there is I can do this for this amount of time and then I'm done. And that is the worst way to think about it because how we, we talked about it, you can lose weight with any diet, with any approach. Like the old diet will work. And there's no actual problem so much with losing the weight is how do you keep it off? And how do you actually maintain it? What is going to be your diet? And your lifestyle after that diet. And that is where like 99% of people fail just because it is not like the end of what you're trying to achieve. That is just the minimum momentum you needed to continue moving in the right direction. And if you don't see yourself in that period behaving and doing the things that you're implementing to lose a weight after, meaning that new version of yourself, that new identity that I have to become that person that wakes up and trains in the morning or trains during the day three times a week, does resistance training, do does their, their, their walking, they eat 80-20 rule, 80% of their nutrition is mostly nutrient-dense, nourishing meals, and they also have that allowance to get their 20% of soul foods, foods that they enjoy. Doing all these, these things, can you envision yourself doing that? Not just now, that you have to obviously include a calorie deficit and you got to be smart about how you implement it so it feels like you can actually maintain that without sacrificing or putting at risk burning out. And then once you get to your goal, well, the only thing that I need to do is increase the volume of food, increase my calories and find my maintenance calories, which, by the way, is not like a specific number. It's a range that is going to always vary depending on your overall lifestyle and physical activity. You don't need to be exercising and running in a treadmill every single day to burn calories, and you don't need to feel like resting days are... A, a, a no for you like you will get better if you find that happy balance 
it's not just about stimulating that hypervigilant, hyperactive state or your sympathetic state, but also allowing your body to rest and stay in this parasympathetic state where you find a happy balance between these two and you allow yourself to have much a much happier life overall. You're you're fun to to speak with and you're fun to live with. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, no, I've been on so many diets and and put my family my family was miserable when I would go on a diet because I wasn't fun to be around, you know, for the most part. Mm. And now it really takes a couple of months of serious dieting to get me deep into that kind of black hole where I'm thinking about food all the time. And then I go on to maintenance and chill out and get my hormones back in line. And, and then I can diet again if I need to. Um, but yeah, the, the, the constant battle, you know, I think that's something that we're often unaware of because a lot of the times I would rationalize this by saying I'm doing this for my family. Like the, the goal is to get my body to a place where I am can participate with my family more. And yet I'm just kind of on this uh, cycle of, of miserable dieting. So I'm not fun to be around and then almost manically gaining weight again, which is also not fun to see. Um, and so I think that that's stressful or was very stressful to my wife and children for a long time. When you were able to lose a decent amount of weight, you felt, I am happy with the amount that I've lost. Were you trying to include or work on other aspects of your mindset to be able to make it work? I am today, and I have been for the last couple of years, but for the first 15 years of dieting, I was not. I wasn't thinking about it in those terms at all. You know, I'm also a sober person. So for the longest time, I did think about my sobriety in those terms. Like I, I was abstinent from drugs and alcohol, and I needed to actively work on myself so that I wasn't going crazy. And I did not apply this to food for a long time. I don't know why. I just thought I could I could beat food by losing weight, you know. And so I would do these really um, kind of ridiculous extreme diets and I would uh, adhere to them religiously to the point where I was miserable, um, you know, not fun to be around for the most part. And then they would end. And during that time, I wasn't you know, there was no introspection on my behavior at all. There was no like self-work basically at all. It was just, I considered it to be a very strictly physical thing. Um, and, and now I kind of am attacking it in a different way. What, what are you doing now that feels different to before? Now I'm I'm much more interested in my behavior in the, in the way I act and interact with things in the way I use things and in, in I find that um, a lot of my urge to eat comes from anxiety or anxiousness mm -hmm. or a, a dissatisfaction with the present time circumstances whatever that means and so I will try I will um, go to food to feel better 
mentally. I don't do that anymore. Like that's a, a very off limits to me. So I am constantly questioning, am I hungry? And what am I going to get out of the food that I'm going to eat right now? Is this strictly for pleasure or is this escapism or is this because I'm nervous in a, around a group of people I don't know, or am I bored and watching TV? So those are the questions I'm constantly asking because I want my behavior with food to be very different. And the other thing that I don't do ever now is I don't eat in secret. I used to I used to not like people to see me eating and I would find it much easier to binge eat if I was alone and there was no prying eyes around regulating me. And so I, I don't eat in secret at all anymore. That's the, you know, look, I'm, I'm home alone right now and my wife is not here and none of my kids are here. I'm going to eat lunch by myself, but it's a different set of circumstances where I'm not yep. doing it secretively. I, I totally agree. Those points are so, so commonly to, to trigger overeating or binge eating. And the biggest one that you mentioned is emotional eating that relies or, on just food in order to escape from an uncomfortable emotion, an uncomfortable situation. And it kind of feels like food is the only way to escape because that's what you learn that was your only solution that's the only thing that you thought would be useful in order to feel better but when you start learning about interoceptive awareness and more about yourself and start asking yourself those questions kind of becoming your own therapist at some point and you like what is going on with you? Like, why are you anxious? What specifically is making you anxious? So you start running through questions like, is this worth worrying about in the first place? Or am I making this 10 times what it is and I'm just overthinking things? Potentially, and um, again, 80 to 90% of the time, we overthink and make things overcomplicated from what they are and sometimes obviously we are scared of what can be on the other side if it's something un unknown that we haven't experienced before and we don't know what the other side looks like so it is just like catastrophizing and thinking these different scenarios and most times the worst scenarios are the ones that trigger us to try to binge or escape or emotionally eat but when you start asking yourself in the question and these questions, when you're in that specific moment, that gives you so much more power and allows you to answer your questions. Well, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I'm not, I don't know. I'm scared. Why are you scared? What are you scared of? Well, I'm scared of failing. I'm scared of someone thinking that I'm not good enough. Okay. But. Is that person important in the first place? Do you care if they think they will think anything about you anyway? People think shit about us anyway. So why are you trying to fit in? Then you start thinking about, well, because when I was a kid, I always need, needed to, was expected to be the, 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 the best one. I was expected to do the things right. Otherwise I would not 
get my mom's attention. I was a neglected kid or my an emotion, my mom was un, un, emotion, emotionally unavailable. So I needed to do things to feed in or, or to grab her attention. So a lot of our behaviors without knowing could be coming from our childhood and from potential traumatic experiences while on growing up. Like I used to have a lot of rejection during my grow, like while I was growing up, like in, in the school, I had a, a really, really good best friend and suddenly she stopped talking to me and I had no idea why. And that was a, a huge rejection. And then another thing happened that I was left like, what did I do? Like there was no explanation. So it was always that fear of rejection that started building up to a point where I always felt scared of not fitting in. Or that any time I would be abandoned or left out, left out, and those kind of behaviors start overriding certain actions. So then you become, you take things up personal. You become overprotective or of certain things. So you start becoming super robotic, and you don't trust anyone. Or you can become on the other way, trying to be people pleaser to a point that. It consumes you so much that it burns you out. And sometimes the only escape is, fuck it, I just need to find something that makes me feel better, and you end up being. So all these long-winded conversations around the the behaviors and our bringing is that emotional eating is a huge thing that I find that probably most of us struggle with. Now, some are able to develop this interoceptive awareness and get to a point where I can master this situation much, much better by understanding why am I feeling this way and what can I do about it? Can I actually change the root cause of what is driving this issue in the first place? Am I worried? Am I stressed? Am I sad? What is the root cause of this feeling, this emotion? And try to see if, is, if actually doing something about it can change the... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Outcome. And if that happens, then you feel better about it because you actually did attack the root cause of what was making you feel bad or uncomfortable and you changed the outcome and now you feel better. But if you can't do anything about it, let's say it's totally out of your control, then finding other ways that are not food related that allow you to feel better or distract your mind because sometimes it's just more finding a way that allows you to stop ruminating about certain things and distraction or doing things that are not necessarily food related will allow you to to let that worry and that urge pass so maybe it's reading a book maybe it's running maybe it's going for a walk maybe it's talking to someone maybe it's just speaking out loud your thoughts and hearing yourself speaking and like I, am, I sound so silly when I repeat these certain things to myself, but I need to hear them because when you just say it in your head, you don't listen. It's weird, but what, what do you have to say? <laughs> do, do, do you find that that should be done before somebody attempts dieting or before somebody attempts like the actual physical act of restructuring how they eat? Do you think that kind of introspection comes first? I believe it depends on the degree as to how how bad is this emotional eating uh, or the body dissatisfaction or what are the root causes of what is making you so emotionally vulnerable. And if that is not addressed, obviously things are going to continue falling into the same pattern and vicious cycle. But I've seen a lot of clients be successful trying to attempt something that is less aggressive, is much more doable, and it doesn't feel that it's adding additional stress and allows them to work on the same at the same time on their behaviors and their emotions and, and put it into practice or into test what is going on, why am I feeling this, how can I do better, and start implementing mindful eating, interoceptive awareness, questioning yourself, and that can work. But I have also seen that some people, they just need to work on their mindset first or and their relationship with food before they even try to do anything else. So when- especially for those... Uh, no, no, no. Especially for those you you finish. Sorry. Especially for those that have been chronically dieting for so long, and they continue regaining and losing, regaining and losing. The problem is not the diet, and you will see that there's something else that they have not been able to address that has to be addressed if they actually want to break that barrier or that point where they get stuck again and it's likely nothing to do with diet obviously losing fat and losing weight comes to energy balance but things are a bit more complex than that 
So when you think about the human psychology and their behaviors and emotions, that is going to go way, way deeper than just trying to create a calorie deficit. Because yes, you can create a calorie deficit, but we're not so simple. We're human, emotional human beings. And emotions are going to play a huge role in our adherence or our capacity to adhere to something. So if you're someone who struggles with emotional eating or with anxiety, depression, stress, or whatever emotion you feel like you tend to gravitate towards when something is wrong, that is going to hold you back because that will affect your adherence. So you'll binge one day and then, well, okay, I'll restrict. And then you'll binge again and then you'll restrict. So you'll see these peaks and yo-yoing again and again, getting back on track and just dieting again. And nothing is really changing because the behaviors and the mindset is still the same. So until you're able to turn that around, Focus, okay, I just can't die right now if I'm going to keep doing the same thing. What can I do to address this first? Maybe it's just a stop dieting and just focusing. Maintaining is, is a legit option to do as well. Like if you can just maintain your weight, wherever you're at at your point in your journey, that's totally fine. You don't have to, to lose weight forever. I know you can and you want to lose more body fat, but you have more time to do it. So, but if something is not working, you gotta pay attention to the one thing that could be potentially holding you back. And that could be just needing to learn the skill on how to address better your emotional eating. And then things are going to be much, much smoother as you move along with those skills. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier 80-20, and this is something we've heard a lot in, you know, when talking about diets and 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 weight loss and stuff. Do you think there is a period of time where stricter adherence is necessary? Or do you think that from day one, or do does this vary case to case? Because I know for a long time, 80-20, I wouldn't stay on a diet because the minute I start tapping into that 20, it's very, very difficult for me to get back to the 80. Now I find it to be quite a bit easier. If I go out to eat with my family and have a bite of dessert and maybe a piece of pizza, the next day it's not impossible for me to get back onto my plan. But there was a time where that bite of dessert or that piece of pizza would have led me to binge eating all night long. And then it would have been unheard of to get back onto my diet the next day i like your question because it's a little bit nuanced in terms of if i struggle with stopping myself because of something one thing that is going to come out of that is that you have been restricting that food so for so long perhaps that when you have it it's like I, I need to eat it all. I, I can't stop myself from eating it. Or because your diet overall is so strict and so boring, when you allow some extra pleasure, that extra dopamine release, like tasty food, it is really hard to stop. But with my experience overall, 
definitely is depending on where you're at in your journey and again how is your dieting history that is going to be a very good predictor of whether you will be able to handle that 80 20 rule a bit more balanced and without going overboard or feeling like you lose in control when you tap into that 20 percent one thing that i like doing with some people some clients is allow yourself to have a piece of chocolate or a piece of food that you have always thought it was a bad food every day. That way, the main thing of that exercise is not to get you to feel like you, you have to do or eat chocolate every day. But the point is to make something that has been put into a pedestal of this is prohibited, this is a bad food, and I only get to eat it when I am going out or when it's a special occasion, but otherwise it is a no-go. So when you know that now it is something that you can eat every day, like sometimes it's like, do I really want it? Like it's, it's there. It's like I, I always like using this um, example of getting or going out with someone that you just met and there is like this huge passion and, you know, you just want to see them all the time and you just want to devour them and, you know, all things crazy happen. But you know that you may not see him in a week or two weeks. It's just like that dating stage. Same, same happens when you are eating something that you can't have all the time because it's, it's a, it's something that is there. Like, oh my God. Chocolate. I can I just can't wait to have it in the weekend because that's the only time that I can have it. Same happens when you get married. Now you have the desserts or like that every single day is there. It doesn't it doesn't change the taste. It doesn't stop being special. But because it's more normalized, then that passion, that desire is much more milder. And it feels like you could have it every any time. You can hug your wife every day. You can do whatever you want together every single day if you wanted to. But you sometimes decide, like, hey, this is not the right time. We do it tomorrow. Or hey, this do that in in the next two days. But I don't feel like doing this today. Same happens with food and how your relationship with food and certain uh, unattainable foods change in the perspective of when you marry these foods like they are there all the time they don't stop being super delicious and tasty but they become more accessible and then it's up to you to say do i really want it today um i just maybe tomorrow and maybe tomorrow you come and see it again and i um you know, I, I prefer I prefer my stir fry and my vegetables today. I, I'm not really into this, especially if you're very in tune with your goals and you know what you want to achieve or if you want to maintain a certain physique. It's more like you have unconditional permission to have anything, but it's more up to you to choose and decide whether something aligns with it in a in a in an ongoing basis. Or you decide not to. But it's you choosing and not someone telling or a rule 
prohibiting that you can't do this because otherwise you won't be able to lose weight. Like there are people losing weight just eating Twinkies. Mm-hmm. Like if you can eat Twinkies and lose weight, there's nothing wrong with eating certain bad foods. It's just knowing and in improving that relationship with that specific food and changing that narrative around it. But if your if your thing is binge eating, that's harder to fit into the 80-20 box. You you wouldn't say mm-hmm. like, yes, 20% of the time you can binge eat. That no longer Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. yeah yes. I see for me like I, as you were giving all those analogies and stories, I'm sitting here going like, yeah, I guess I could f- squeeze a Big Mac into my calories. I know mm-hmm. I would be hungrier sooner afterwards or at the end of the day, I would be hungrier because that food is not super satisfying or not super long term. And then as I thought about it further, I was like, I never wanted a Big Mac. I wanted three Big Macs. I wanted three Big Macs and chicken nuggets and a filet of fish and an order of fries and an ice cream. You you know, it wasn't just having a Big Mac. It wasn't just having one square of chocolate for me. It was, it was eating to the point that I couldn't eat anymore, which gave me pleasure for a long time. So I think, I think if, if you're, if you're getting that under control, yeah, the rest of it doesn't matter. I, I think I personally, at the beginning of a diet, would try to stay away from foods like Big Macs simply because I think you, I, I would get hungrier and it would be very difficult for me to go to McDonald's and just order a Big Mac or order a cheeseburger. It's so small. Um, but that's just me. But I get what you're saying and I, and I appreciate that, you know. I, I, I totally get what you're saying too. And what I was saying at a point that there are people that for them to prioritize their goals, they have to be a bit more stricter than that. And that is okay. Like I am just looking for the average person that doesn't struggle with binge eating or to the point of extreme hunger would be able to work with and and to to learn. Now when we're thinking about people with huge appetites and like I am someone who I'm always hungry. I like I like eating a lot of food, like volume food. Like if I don't see four plates in front of me, I just like I can't go to restaurants that have this tiny little thing. Like I need to eat like five fifty plates like that in order to feel full. So I get what you're saying, and I definitely understand and sympathize with the the point of needing to know when it's appropriate to be a bit more stricter than that but you decide it because you're okay with that right but it's your choice again it's, it's not someone or something of making you do this or stopping from eating this you still have in your mind the option to say i could have it if i wanted to but i decide not to because i am not going to feel satisfied with just one burger i need yeah. four but because it's not satiating, I prefer to not eat it at all. So I don't have to struggle with that. I do the same when I think about, I don't know, cookies. I can't eat just one cookie. 
or when I am thinking about cereal, I have to eat the whole packet. I can't eat just one serving. Yeah, God, for okay. a serving no. of, it's like a quarter <laughs> of a cup. It's nothing. It's two tablespoons of cereal. Exactly. So I say, look, I just won't have it, but it's my choice. But if I do want to at some point, I say, fuck it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to eat my entire box of cereal. And I'm so happy. But it's my choice. It's not like the scarcity mindset of I can't have this anymore. It's overriding the power of my choosing to eat it. It's more like I am going to allow myself to today. I'm just going to eat three burgers today. And I'm okay with that. But you are choosing to do that. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's I know I do because the the because I wouldn't choose to do it. That's the problem. If I'm doing it from a, a point of like rationale, I'm not going to do it. And if I it's 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 kind of there's a, a sub level where I'm doing it and I'm not choosing to do it, you know, where some other mechanism in my mind has taken over and mm -hmm. said, you need this so bad that you're going to like block out everything else and you're going to go and do this thing. But there's nothing in me that and I haven't really dealt with this hands on recently because I've been working on this for so long, but I can remember, you know going i'm i'm gonna take a different route home to avoid fast food and then i find myself in the drive-through to get fast food and i think i'm not gonna eat it they're gonna give me the bag and i'm gonna throw it away and then i find myself like putting my face in the bag just to smell it and then i'm thinking i'm not gonna eat it. i'll just smell it and then i've eaten it you know and none of it was really uh a decision that was being made by the part of me that could sit down and go like, what is this food going to do for me? And do I want that? And, you know, it wasn't really in the kind of awareness level of, of making a decision. Do you ever think about how are you going to feel after you have I eaten that? I do now. Like, yes, very much so now, I, you know, I find myself almost only experiencing that when I'm traveling, right? Because when I'm home, I have my life dialed in and I'm never faced with that decision. A once in a while, we'll go out to dinner somewhere and I'll find myself looking at a menu where there aren't great choices for me. Everything's breaded or fried or pizza or this or that. And in that situation, I am trying to make What's what's a pizza going to do for me? Do I want to eat that? Am I going to feel good after, you know, so I'm trying to make those decisions. But if I find myself in a strange place that I'm not familiar with and I get hungry and I am have limited options, I, I am trying to think with what you're talking about, which is to, to make a decision based on how's it going to make me feel after I eat it? How's it going to make me feel tomorrow? Um you know, how much of this do I need to eat to get a meal in? You know, they're rather than just like, well, I'm here and uh, there aren't great options. So now I'm going to choose the worst one. Now I'm going to turn off my my cognitive mind and just go for what's going to anesthetize me.
the point that I think it is so important, especially that you highlighted when you are traveling, when, when you're doing something that is out of your routine, is to always try to be as prepared as you can. And this is one thing that determines whether you can be quite dialed in and successful on these speci specific situations that are totally out of your routine, like traveling, like how much can you plan and what can be under your control when it comes to food so you are not paying a higher price in the sense that you can be in more control and don't feel like everything is going to go out of the window. So one thing that I find that is very helpful if you're traveling is make sure you can have with you in your backpack or whatever things that you know that you can eat on the go, that you don't allow yourself to be so ravenously hungry that when you are in a restaurant, you are so miserable that whatever you're going to eat is, is going to be, it's just going to drive this out of behavior that has nothing to do with your cognizance behavior. The other point, it would be more about, can you choose where to eat? If it's in your power, if this, that's possible, then that allows you to study a bit more what the menu would look like, what you could potentially order that is going to make you feel satiated. But at leading up to heading or going to that place, to the restaurant, don't, don't go starving. Because if you go hungry, that is going to set you up for failure. So one thing that I always encourage my, my clients and everyone that struggles with that, especially traveling, think about what is the outcome you want to get out of that event or going into a restaurant. Is it about a work meeting type thing? Is that work relationship? Is it about making memories with your family, spend some quality time? So what is the role of food in that situation? And whether eating or not eating or putting a lot of attention on the food will make things better or may not allow you to live the or fulfill the entire experience that you want to get of that specific situation. So if I'm going to for a work meeting and food is there, what is the outcome of that event, the work meeting? It's not the food. Food is there just to, to be part of just uh, some appetizers, entertaining, but it's not the outcome that you're going for. Now, you're going with your kids to get a, to go to McDonald's and then there's ice cream. What is the outcome of that? Spending time with your kids and maybe having and tasting some of those foods. But what is the specific outcome that you want to get from that? Is it the action food? Is it the kids? And, and experience that you want to live with them. So when your attention to what you want to get out of those situations is dialed in into this, the specific outcome or what I want from this, allows you to be, be more dialed in into. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns. I can just ignore in the sense that you don't have to make food as a huge priority and you can perhaps have something else before you go. So you're not hungry or you're not just food focused. I'm not saying to not enjoy the foods that you go, that when you go in a restaurant, you try them and you, but because hunger is not present, then you just choosing to taste things here and there, but you're satisfied already. You, you come from a place where if I eat something, I'm going to eat it because I want to give myself the treat of trying and tasting, but not because I'm hungry. Because the problem is when you are hungry, the only thing that is in your head is, I just want to eat until I'm sickly full, until I'm just like, I need to eat so much. And I understand you because I am exactly the same. But when I, when I change my perspective, I'm like, okay, this is a meeting. Oh, this is something I am going to be meet with my brother. I haven't seen in five, seven years. I want to spend time with him. I want to laugh. I want to create memories. Food is there, absolutely, but I'm not going to just be focused on the food. I am going to enjoy some of that, but my, my attention and my focus is on the person. So I somehow in my mind, I go, okay, this is what I want to get of that situation. And for that reason, sometimes I am not going to go hungry. Let me have something before I get, I, I eat a sandwich or something that I know will fill me up and will reduce my hunger levels from nine to five. So, okay, I can eat something I enjoy here and there, but my the food is not going to drive me crazy to a point that I am just binging and eating and like, okay, fuck, the, fuck everyone. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Astrid, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, and I hope you you could get some. Uh, I don't know, enjoy it, and and there was something that you can take away from this. I think so. I think it's been a very productive conversation. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for, for everything. Well. And now for the Q&A. Hello, here's a question from Rob. Hi, Rob. Rob says, longtime fan and just started listening to the podcast. He says, longtime fan, first time listener. First time listener. He says, glad to have you, Rob. <laughs> yeah. I too have struggled with my weight. I relate to what you have to say about your relationship with food, particularly particularly your all or nothing attitude when it comes to your diet, I can go a while. And then if I slip, it's too easy to keep falling back into overeating. Uh, he's from Northern Minnesota. He says, because of the past, well, okay, sorry. He says, I'm an, now I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly and I feel terrible, but it's O-J-I-B-W-E. I'm an Ojibwe. Is that right? Oh, now I feel like, I mean, we need to do this one again so I can like learn this correctly and not butcher. But no, he goes, Rob will hear you butcher his hair. Oh, gosh. Okay. He says, I'm an Ojibwe, which is spelled O-J-I-B-W-E. And I genuinely apologize if I didn't I pronounce that correctly. I think it sounds correctly. like Ojibwe in my head. Okay, great. He's from Northern Minnesota. And the reason he points that out is he says, because in the past and in our hunter-gatherer economy in former times, Often it was literally feast or famine. Yeah. A lot of our ceremony and rites of passage, sometimes things as simple as praying have a food component. I struggle with keeping consistent and not losing control at our bigger feasts. How do you take the beast? Uh, maybe he means tame, but how do you tame the beast in any type of social situation? I get what he's asking. And that's, I, I'm. No, I understand totally. Um, I try to set, um, thanks for the question. I try to set guardrails. I find that I will, uh, eat out of anxiety and any kind of, for me, um, public settings with a lot of people give me anxiety and, and fuck man, like just being at dinner with people and being in the presence of people who are doing something like eating and not doing it, even that gives me anxiety and makes me want to eat. And like, I'm a really fast eater. So when I finish my food and then people are like, like my wife's sister is the slowest eater on earth. So going to lunch with her, I'm maybe done with my food before she's taken her first bite. And that's not even really an exaggeration. Like she will talk and look at her food and cut a piece and then talk. And I'm like blowing through mine. And then, and then I, and then I have this thing of like, well, it's rude to let people eat alone. So now I have to order something else. So, so like, there's a lot that goes into it. And we also have, you know, all the stupid traditions. I'm not calling your tradition stupid, but I do think of my traditions as stupid where they're, all centered around food. Um, I completely understand if you come from a group of people that were hunters and gatherers really not that long ago, and you're trying to uphold those traditions and, and the, the celebration is literally based around food. Like we caught a big animal and we're going to have a celebration about this. I get that. Or the harvest came in and we're going to celebrate it. Um, mine, seem to be like just ways to get kids to eat chocolate and buy turkeys. Yeah. Um, you know, and so these food centric celebrations, I try to put up some guardrails. So 
the biggest one for me is just not overeating. And that's, that's tough because that's exactly what he's talking about. So I think just white knuckling that idea, I'm not going to overeat. I'm not going to overeat. I'm not going to overeat. That's maybe not going to bring him success, but like, are there other active things you could do? Could you eat? Like if it's the types of food, are there any limitations on types of food that you could set? I don't know what that celebration looks like at all or what the types of foods are, but like, I know I've gone like, well, you know, for Christmas sometimes, well, I'm just going to eat the meat. I'm not going to eat all the other stuff that's served, the stuffing and potatoes and, you know, desserts. And even if I overeat the meat a little bit, I feel better the next day than if I'd eaten all the other stuff. Um, on, on Thanksgiving, I can overeat the shit out of turkey and feel great the next day. I get pretty sleepy that night, but mm-hmm. I feel pretty good the next day um, and have just like little tastes of stuff, but limit it to I'm going to take one small spoon of stuffing. And when that's done, I'm not going back for more. Really, I do try to work mostly on not overeating, not snacking at all. I'm going to have what's on my plate and that's it. And then trying to be up and on my feet and active and doing anything else I can that does not involve eating food. So I would suggest looking for, are there games that are played? Are there people to talk to? Are there, you know, anything active? Um, You know, I I even like to, um, this idea where, you know, a big part of recovery uh, with sobriety is being of service. And and a lot of that is like, I'm going to go to this meeting and set up, and then I'm going to help put everything away, fold up the chairs, clean up the space, just anything like that. Like doing dishes for me has become something that I go to simply because it keeps me away from the food. And there's always an excess of dirty dishes around the holidays at my house. And so like anytime I can break away and go do dishes. Um, those are some of the ways that I work on these, uh, these traps of, of gluttony. That makes perfect sense. And I personally appreciate that answer as well. I think this is something that no matter what your heritage or traditions are, we all have some version of this. So that's, yeah, it's super helpful. And I apologize again, Rob, if I did not say your heritage name correctly, I'm going to, I am now genuinely curious and want to check it out. (laughs) Um, Thank you for the question. Do let us know any success you have. And if anybody else has a question, you can email it. Ethan will answer it. It's hello at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.